Welcome to From Duck Till Dark, Outside the Marvel Studios. An audio celebration of the films based on Marvel Comics characters released before and during the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Enough said. Face front, true believers, this is George Soroy, and welcome to the latest episode of From Duck Till Dark Outside the Marvel Studios, a celebration of all of the Marvel movies that were released on the big screen before and during the run of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And this is definitely the but wait, there's more section of this show, because as you'll recall, on uh, December 30th, I reached episode 30 and completed the National Podcast Post-Month Challenge, which is simply recording and posting an episode of a podcast every day for 30 days. And it was, this was quite the undertaking this time around. It seemed like uh, there was, there were days when I was recording two episodes at a time, sometimes three episodes at a time. But by the end of day 30, all 30 episodes were done. They were edited, they were posted, they were finished. And so I am so thrilled to say that I have completed that challenge. But I knew that there was there was this uh, with this series. And not only with these last five episodes, because there are actually 35 epi- movies that I was going to be covering, but there is definitely potential for something to go beyond season one of this show. And I'm curious to know what your thoughts are about that. So uh, please go ahead and uh, contact me at george at he's got it.com with any sort of ideas you may have. You can also post those ideas on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash from duck till dark. And earlier and for episode 30, I talked a lot about Deadpool, which came out in February of 2016 and shattered box office records for, for an R-rated film. And yeah, this was huge. Deadpool was huge. And 20th Century Fox definitely took notice. And they were they were looking forward to what else they they had in the pipeline. And the big thing that they had in the pipeline was the latest X-Men movie. Now, if you'll recall, a couple of years before before that, in 2014, 20th Century Fox had hit it big again with with X-Men Days of Future Past. That was just an immense accomplishment that wound up bringing in from my, my, I think it brought in just over 700 million worldwide. It was a huge hit. And it was, it was the first really big hit that the X-Men franchise had had since X-Men The Last Stand. And this one was much, much more universally um, appealing. And the critics enjoyed it. The fans enjoyed it, and they were really excited for what was to come, especially considering that there was a post-end credits scene that introduced the character known as Ensaba Nor, or Apocalypse, the first mutant. And this was going to be really interesting. We were going to have him as the main adversary in the next one. However, after this happened, after we were teased with the first appearance of Insabinor. The very next year, the Marvel Cinematic Universe gave us X-Men. The very next year, the Marvel Cinematic Universe gave us Avengers, Age of Ultron. And 
the character Ultron was someone who decided that humanity needed to be wiped clean in order for the world to fully thrive. And which you know, wound up being something that was going to be very familiar, a very familiar topic the very next year. Since Age of Ultron came out and was another massive success for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the very next year, that's when things really ramped up because in February, we got Deadpool, which was great. And then in March of 2016, we got Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. And that was its own its own saga, quite the saga, actually. And even though like it wound up bringing in almost a billion dollars worldwide, because it wound up making just under 900 million, it was looked at as a disappointment. I mean, that, that's where we are these days. And then in May, that's when we got the beginning of phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with one of the finest installments in the whole MCU, Captain America Civil War. And so things were really, really going strong. And at the same time, the comic book genre was kind of running the risk that year of oversaturation because these were huge tentpole movies that were being that were being re uh, released in the winter and then in the early spring and then early summer <laughs> so and and here is x-men apocalypse coming out after that and to say that to say that it's thunder had been swallowed up by those movies that came before would be kind of an understatement it's a shame because there is a lot of good in this one and I definitely need to applaud everyone involved, especially a screenwriter, Simon Kinberg, for not trying to ape how the Marvel Cinematic Universe was, is, was done. It's one thing that, uh, that everyone was really kind of saying at that point, that they should be more like the MCU. They're Marvel and everything, and they're just, they're... They're not doing it. The, they're not doing this the right way. They're not being faithful enough, basically. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's something that we heard a bit of at the beginning. We heard little fleeting moments of that from the fans, but eventually they realized, especially when X two came out, just like, hey, there really is something of good, high quality here. And we saw it again with X Men First Class. We saw quite a bit of it in the Wolverine. We saw a lot of it in X-Men Days of Future Past. And so here we are in with Apocalypse. And it had a lot going against it because by this point, we had already been introduced to Thanos in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And here we have Apocalypse, who was basically like another one of those, one of those big bads. And when you have a character like this, someone who is supposed to be like the unbeatable and then you don't really do much with him that's a problem and basically like what he wound up doing for a lot of the time was base was just kind of studying earth and realizing what needed to be done with humankind in order for mutants to to take their rightful place and there was a lot of stalling it seemed like he was just he he was just kind of he was gathering his like storm like Psylocke and eventually with uh, Magneto and before making the big strike on the on Xavier's mansion. So there was a lot of 
it, it felt like they were just kind of like killing time throughout the first about the first half of it. And there's a lot in there that I did enjoy. I loved the the take on Magneto trying to live a life with a wife and child in the meantime being hunted and having to stay having to keep from from doing anything that would tip him off that he is a mutant that he is who he really is as Eric Lynchier and it's an act of kindness that causes his eventual downfall which is pretty which is pretty damn tragic and it works. Once again, Michael Fassbender just, you know, knocked this one out of the park. And at the same time, though, it seemed like there was a lot of what Apocalypse was planning on doing that was mirroring what Ultron had already done. So he was kind of, they were basically in, in a way of kind of like playing catch up. And like I said, like uh, having a character as all powerful as he is, and he's only involved in two major action scenes. And even with the second and even with the second action scene, it just seemed like it was one of those it's going to take all of our powers to to defeat him. And it just felt like I don't know, it's, it felt like there was something lacking. And but at the same time, there's enough there that I enjoyed. However, there are quite a few things I would have done differently. I think there definitely should have been more flaunting of Apocalypse's powers in the beginning of it all to really kind of show that that this is a major threat that's that's getting closer and which would definitely almost have Xavier be not quite caught by surprise the way that he is in in the movie. I feel like the way that with Apocalypse as all like I said all powerful as amazingly powerful as he is it would have been really cool if if you just see like this path of destruction, not quite doomsday-like um, over in DC, but just something that just getting closer and closer and closer and Xavier can just feel it and feel it, feel it. And to the, to the point where like he knows that there is a, a major threat and he's ready for him. And still Apocalypse would would completely wipe wipe them out. So I feel like there there was uh, there was potential for that. I was also I also enjoyed for the most part the 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 section right in the middle where where a handful of mutants are taken by William Stryker to Alkali Lake and what i really like about that is that it had a moment with uh, that showed us the Wolverine in this timeline and he is fully feral and he is he is basically like behind this wall and we see him with this big helmet on and everything and dealing with basically getting his memory zapped and it's it's these mutants that that come to his aid and it's Jean Grey which was really cool being the one to calm him and it gives him like a moment of peace throughout this whole scene where he eventually lashes out as, at, at his captors. What I love about this is that it fully succeeds in completely wiping away the continuity of X-Men Origins Wolverine. I'm so glad that that's not, we don't have to worry about that anymore. I like the savageness that he shows of, of dealing with those that 
that t- that took him. The only thing that really kind of bugs me about this whole sequence is that it feels like it just dropped out of nowhere. And I feel like there needed to be some buildup with William Stryker. The fact we had seen him before, obviously, but here he is just like kind of shows up out of nowhere at the most vulnerable time. He just it, it was all just pure happenstance. And that part of it just felt really, really jarring. And it felt like you could have taken the whole section of that movie and just put it somewhere else and nothing would have really come of it. So that part of it really, I do like that. You know, I want to say like, I do like this one, but I'd have to give it at most like a mild recommend because I feel like there was definitely, there was some, there was some potential there that there was potential for some really cool moments that was missed. And I feel like uh, there were some things that worked, there were a good amount of things that worked and some things not so much. I like the introduction of the new versions of these X-Men, the younger versions. And I like that uh, Ty Sheridan and and the uh, the actress uh, playing Jean Grey, I don't have my uh, notes right in front, Sophie Turner. I think that Ty Sheridan and Sophie Turner have some, some uh, semblance of chemistry there. And I think it works for the most part. And uh, there, there was some, like I said, there was a good amount of stuff in here that I that I enjoyed. I was entertained for pretty much like the whole thing. And I did like, I loved how Mystique is being this kind of catch and release kind of mutant. And which explains why, um, which explains why, why Logan was able to William Stryker throughout the 70s until finally, like he, he eventually caught him. But at the end of Days of Future Past, it looked like William Stryker had had gotten him. But at the same time, he then he flashes the yellow eyes and turns out that that's Mystique. So it's Mystique doing him a favor by getting him as far away from Stryker as possible. And unfortunately, it was like a catch and release, and which is what she would do with Nightcrawler in this one. So you get to see she'll get him out of harm's way, but... Once he's in this other location, he's on his own, and then she's got to go and find someone else. So she was there to basically just kind of disrupt plans more than anything, which was a great move for her. It was a good role for her. And and of course, we got to see how Xavier completely lost his hair. And um, there's, like I said, there's a good amount of stuff and a big plus definitely has to go to John Ottman for the terrific score. And I actually even got to talk to him a little bit about this particular score because there is a secondary theme that's in this one. And it sounded like it was a play on The Ecstasy of Gold and Yo Morricone's piece from The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And which is a perfect, it is a, it's a perfect uh, reflection of that. The funny thing is, is that when I brought it up to him, at a at a Q and A session on Clubhouse, it turns out that that wasn't really he didn't he didn't expect that, and then I brought it up a little bit more, and then he was just like, yeah, yeah, I did. So, so it wound up being a really funny moment, but it was it was interesting, like the way that he kind of responded to that. So whether it was intentional or unintentional, I think it worked great, and I am a big big fan of this particular score. I love the score to um, X2, love the score for Days of Future Past. This one had like a little extra bombastic element to it that I really, really enjoyed. And so, like I said, there's a lot of good in this and I did really enjoy this. I like that we got like a little hint of why Logan feels this attraction toward Jean Grey is because she's the one that quieted his mind. And 
whether or not that actually happened in the in the previous continuity, the the one that follows Logan. That's that remains to be seen. But I really enjoyed that element of it. And there was enough here to, I would say, I would probably put it just as a mild recommend because it wasn't it wasn't up to the standards of of first class and days of future past. And I would probably put it it would be a very, very close recommend. It's very, very close between mild recommend and recommend because it's and it's also very close to the first X-Men. So there is a lot of good stuff that's in there, but at the same time, it also feels like it was out of the four that was that out of the four superhero films that were out there. And I'm including Batman v Superman in this. It probably comes off as the weakest of the four, um, mainly because. So that's my thought on that. Like a little bit of rambling, but at the same time, this this one is. There's a lot of back and forth on this one that I, I was really into it and then I wasn't into it as much and then I was into it a little bit more and then just kind of kind of fell back a little bit and then the ending battle felt really weak to me. Overall, I feel I feel it, it was it was solid and kudos to Evan Peters for coming in and and as as Peter and doing having his moment where he gets to save everyone in the mansion while it's blowing up. That was a really cool moment and any use of eurythmic sweet dreams are made of this. I am all all in for. So those are my thoughts on on X-Men Apocalypse, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts too. Just please uh, go ahead and check out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash from duck till dark. And until tomorrow, this is George Sorori saying to all of you, ever upward and excelsior. I'll see you soon.